I'm Samantha B. Welcome to my podcast, Full Release with Samantha B. Hopefully, you'll experience one by the end of this. Today is officially the first day of fall, but instead of wrapping himself in buttery cashmere and making plans to go apple picking like a normal human, President Trump is having the Attorney General do his personal bidding and trying to roll out an untested vaccine that's probably two parts bleach, one part imagination. And of course, America is still trying to uncover the mystery of Joe Biden's old arch nemesis corn pop corn pop if you are out there i would love to have you on this show but there are plenty of activities you can engage in to stay sane right now and listening to this podcast can certainly be one of them this week and every week i'm taking a break from the 24 7 news cycle to have an in-depth conversation with someone i genuinely admire and who can help me gain a little perspective about the longest year of all of our lives. We might not be able to make it all better, but maybe we can make it more bearable. As always, I'm joined by my producers, Svea Baron Reinstein and Adam Howard. Okay, podcast gals, we've got a living legend on today's show, and her name is Jane Fonda. What's your favorite Jane Fonda movie or bonus question? Have you ever attempted one of her workouts? <laughs> I could use one. I've put on a lot of weight during the coronavirus. <laughs> I could really use all the help I can get. Well, I think she started doing workouts on TikTok. You should get on she it. She did. I'm not even she... on TikTok. I'm, oh my God. Well, yeah, now's right. your chance. She's, yeah, I needed an 82-year-old to yeah. get me up to speed. Be the TikToker you want to see in the world, okay? Yeah. Jane Fonda is so fit. I actually, I have a friend of mine went to like a socially distanced but open old bookstore and bought me the double album, her original double album workout set. Nice. And she's doing a body position on the front cover of it (laughs) (laughs) that like I never really looked at before. I mean, I've seen the album a million times. My parents had the album. It's really hard to get into. It's like, um, it's like I, she makes a V with her body. <laughs> well, it's probably it's, even harder to get out of it. It's the tightest V. <laughs> <laughs> like I can make a very wide V with my body, but not as it's so. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> Anyways, um, I, so. even I showed my daughter, and she does ballet and stuff and i was like can you do this like, can you balance on your tailbone <laughs> the way that jane fonda is in this picture and she was like i'm gonna try and she did she did it but it took some wrangling <laughs> what's your favorite jane fonda movie <laughs> good yeah good segue um i love uh I, I don't know if you i think you would have seen this sam because i think you're a big mm-hmm. movie buff uh clute no you don't think i'll have oh, seen clute. it well it's, yeah. it's like it's <laughs> no so old. we don't no i will not i will not you have, have seen not it. seen no. it it's no. really great it's like one of the yeah. i think it's yeah it's the first movie she won the oscar for it's mm-hmm. like a really good 70s thriller it's with donald sutherland also when he was young yeah um yeah, and she plays great. like a sex worker in it who's like gets embroiled in a murder plot it's just it's an incredible movie it's also really cool because it's like one of the only movies I've seen that makes a real effort to sort of humanize sex workers and mm-hmm. give her like a three-dimensional personality. Um, so yeah, and obviously 9 to 5, which I think yes. Svea just saw recently for the first time. I did. I just, you did? I can't tell well, if you're surprised that I actually bothered to watch it or that I hadn't <laughs> ever seen it. <laughs> both oh, no, both I just are think it's fair. nice. I like it when, I like to be prepped for interviews. I like to yeah. read the book and watch the movie. Yeah, did you so like I, it? I watched it. I loved it. I, I honestly so couldn't believe I had never seen it. Um, yeah. 
it was, I cannot believe it was from 40 years ago and I'm sure we'll get to this in the interview, but it was from 40 years ago and it could have been made yesterday. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think they feel like they're remaking it and I think that's not, that's very unfortunate. So in my research for this, I think that they are no longer remaking it. Oh, which I guess you are pleased about. Well, I don't ever wish for people to not have jobs on things that <laughs> are me. So I'm not from that perspective. I'm like, oh, that's that's a blow. A Sam B is a jobs a lot, killer. Yeah, no, a lot of people put a lot of effort into that reboot, but it is a precious. Uh, that movie is a precious gift, and so it um, really, yeah. it really stands up to time. I mm-hmm. loved watching it. I'm just sad I hadn't enjoyed it earlier in my life. (laughs) I was just telling Sophia the other day, we actually played a clip from it at my wedding. Because, (gasps) yeah, we got married at the Museum of the Moving Image here in New York. And so we had access to like a movie theater and a big screen. And one of the parts of our ceremony, we both picked a clip from the movie that uh, was like a surprise on the day that we thought would be sort of illustrative of the other person. So I picked Mm -hmm. a scene where... Dolly Parton is telling off uh, Dabney Coleman because I wanted to sort of talk about how like strong she is and how I admire that so much or whatever. So yeah, I have a long history with this movie. You both picked the same clip. No, 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 for no. Each other? <laughs> I picked that. I picked that one <laughs> I for like, her. What? No, no, okay. no, no. That would be really frightening. <laughs> they're really, they're really meant to be. <laughs> no, she wow. picked a scene from Groundhog Day. Okay, uh, which is one of her favorite movies. But uh, yeah, it was kind of like a neat twist oh, on the that's usual so- thing. That's great. Okay, yeah. I'm so excited to talk to her. I don't... Oh, boy. I have so much admiration inside my body. I might. This might be the first time that I cry during an interview. Oh, no. <laughs> Anyways, I'm just putting it out there. What if I get emotional? It could happen today. That's what the people want. Yeah, That's, go there. Is it? <laughs> I don't know if I agree with you. I don't know if I agree with you on that. Okay, we are going to take a quick break, but we have Chain Fonda coming up, and you're going to want to stick around after that because we're testing out something new after the interview that you're not going to want to miss. Don't worry, it still pits me against Svian Adam because obviously I live for competition. So don't go away because I have some handpicked ads coming up just for you. Joining me today is the one and only Jane Fonda. I don't even know if she needs an introduction, but I'll give it a try. She's a two-time Oscar-winning actress, a climate and social justice activist, a timeless sex symbol, a fitness icon, and a perpetual thorn in the side of the right-wing establishment. And after something like six decades in the spotlight, she's showing no signs of slowing down, working out on TikTok, writing a new book, What Can I Do?, about her efforts to bring attention to the grave threats facing our environment. Welcome to the show, Jane Fonda. Hi. Hi. Hi to you. It's, I'm so excited that you are that you said yes to us. Thank you so I'm much. I'm so excited that you asked me. I'm delighted. Oh, thank you so much. I love you, and I love Grace and Frankie, and I love everything you've done, and 9 to 5, and I read your book, and it's great. Thank you. I loved it. This is a huge thrill for me. Thank you for doing this. Well, thank you. I have so many questions for you, but um, I don't even know where to begin. I just, okay, just as we're beginning to record this podcast, I have just come off of just looking at a a press conference that's happening right now in California. 
and seeing Gavin Newsom speaking across a table to President Trump while the West Coast burns and trying in some way to explain what climate change is. Did you, could you have imagined that we would be in this set of circumstances today? No, and it, it's clear to me over these last months that it's it's all it's moving faster than scientists right. initially thought. You know, they're they're saying that that it's that the um, things are falling apart pretty fast. Right. I mean, the words out of our control. Right. I have heard altogether too much in the last week. Okay. Okay. So okay. Well, do, first of all, when you when you were protesting in the early seventies, did you? ever imagine you'd still be protesting 50 years oh, later? Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the right. things that we were protesting in the 70s were around for a long time, and we knew that we might not be alive to see, you know, like racism, mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. the lack of economic democracy, like inequality. These things don't, you know, as I say in the um, beginning of my book, when I mm -hmm. was young, I thought it was a sprint. Right. And uh, I wanted everything to happen fast. But as I got older, I thought it was a marathon and I started pacing myself. Right. And now I, it's a relay. I mean, this is going to be long and we have to keep passing the baton. I really liked that when I read the forward to the book. I liked I've never thought of it as a relay race before. That image really worked for me. So yeah. thank you for yeah. that. How do you okay, how do you because you've stood up to Nixon and Reagan and Bush and now Trump. Like, I assume you'll still be protesting him during his fourth term in office. Whatever happens, I really don't, don't say know. that. Oh, God. No, no. No. <laughs> How do you stay committed to the issues that you champion when opposition I just I want to be able worse? to sleep. Right. Well, I want to, listen, I'm closer to my death than I am to my birth. And so I think a lot about my death and I want mm -hmm. to be able to go out feeling that I've done my best. Okay. Are you able to sleep? Are you grinding your teeth? Well, because I am doing everything that I possibly can. Right. So yes, I can sleep. Okay. But last year before I started Fire Drill Fridays was a different thing. I was pretty depressed and I wasn't sleeping so well. Okay. Well, tell us about fire drill Fridays. So you protested against climate change every Friday in D.C. with a band of famous friends. You got arrested five times. Can you explain? No, what's important isn't the band of f famous friends so sure. much as we had, we had voices of scientists and experts. Mm -hmm. And the people whose voices aren't heard, the front line, the people in Louisiana who are really suffering right now in the, yeah. in the way of, you know, these refineries and these incentives incinerators and they flood with the storms and then the toxins go all over the place. I mean, these people are really suffering there and in Houston and all kinds of places in the United States that you don't hear from those people. Right. And most people have no idea how much suffering is going on because of fossil fuels and the pollution and the climate change that they're causing. So those are the people that I wanted to highlight and the and the celebrities were there to introduce them, right? You know, beckoning people to come and then introducing the people whose voices we we really wanted to hear. That's one of the things I'm really proud of about Fire Drill Fridays. And we didn't know in the beginning whether it was going to, you know, have any traction. Annie mm -hmm. Leonard, who's the head of Greenpeace US, is my partner in all this, mm -hmm. and um, 
And then as one week and then another week, and we began to see more and more people coming from all over the country. I mean, from Oregon and Portland, Wisconsin, Colorado, Mm -hmm. and they kept coming back. And we realized, holy cow, we've tapped into something that is real. People want to be given something to do that takes it up a, a notch. Right. You don't, you know, you don't start with civil disobedience. Mm-hmm. But for 40 years, we've been petitioning and, and lobbying and marching and protesting, and we haven't been heard. And so the next step is putting your body on the line and engaging in civil disobedience. People are ready for that. The Yale, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Yale Project on Climate Communications. They have done a lot of studies, and they say there's 23 million people in the United States who know there's a climate crisis, understand it's man-made, but hasn't been asked, I shouldn't say man-made, human-made, mm-hmm. and have never been asked to do anything. 13 million of them would engage in civil disobedience, right. but nobody's asked them. The great unasked. Right. That's what we're going after. And they started to come to D.C. And now we're doing it you know, virtually on Zoom. I love Zoom. Mm-hmm. And um, we're getting, in July, August, we had over 3 million people following us across wow. our yeah that's amazing yeah do you find it because it's true people don't they really need to be told what to do or asked to join something that has a concrete steps right if you can give people the steps to engage it's so helpful yeah because it can be so overwhelming i think individually we're so vulnerable and powerless yeah I mean, strength in numbers, it's, it's true. Well, that's, that, and the scientists even are saying to us, what we have to do is so monumental, cut our fossil fuel emissions in half mm-hmm. by 2030. That's in less than 10 years. We need unprecedented numbers of people ready to go into the streets and make it happen. And it's right. not happen otherwise. Nothing, nothing this big has ever, well, there hasn't never been, been anything like this. Right. The history of humankind, we've never been on the precipice of, of species catastrophe like we are now. And we have so little time to do anything about it because the fossil fuel industry lied to us for 40 years. And I appreciate that you are spending so much time demystifying the Green New Deal. Because I think that there's so, it, it's like its reputation precedes it with so many people, but they don't really know what is contained within it like they don't really understand the ideas behind it this country isn't facing just a climate crisis we're mm-hmm. facing an empathy crisis our right. social fabric is is unraveling and so since the solution to the climate crisis means changing right our entire economic structure because fossil fuels kind of undergirds our economy Let's do it in a way that levels the playing field, that creates justice in this country. Mm-hmm. So we have to pay attention to the people that are suffering the most from from the global from the climate crisis. That's what this what the Green New Deal does. It's calling for the the jobs and the green transition to benefit the people that have suffered the most and who have the least to do with creating the climate crisis. Right, because in your book also you talk about how while doing research for Fire Drill Fridays, you learned that there's a correlation between significant increases in rape and sexual assault and places experiencing climate-related disasters. So there's so much unexpected collateral damage. And I think... So much collateral damage, yeah. I appreciate that you're trying to bring all of these 
issues together to help people to understand comprehensively how the role of justice in all of this. Yeah. And, you know, people say, well, the Green New Deal is pie in the sky and it's too expensive. Experts say we could cut $600 billion out of our Pentagon budget because right now we're, you know, we spend more than all the rest of the world combined. Mm -hmm. We could cut $600 billion and, and that could be part of what would go to make things right in this country in terms of the climate and justice. We could stop paying the $20 billion a year subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. The money's there. Right. The COVID climate has shown us that when there's a, an emergency, the government can come up with the money. Well, Roosevelt did it in the 30s. We have to do it now. Biden has to do it, and he's going to have to be forced to, because left to his own, he's not going to do it. What was the catalyst? Like, What was the inciting moment that made you decide to bring this group of people together? What was the the moment where I'll everything you exactly kind of what it was. I, I was it was a year ago and I was depressed and I didn't know what to do and I knew that that catastrophe was looming. And you you know when you have a platform because mm-hmm. you're famous, mm. you have to be careful. How do you use it? What is the best way? And I didn't know what the best way was mm-hmm. until I read Naomi Klein's book, which is called On Fire the burning case for a green new deal and Mm -hmm. that is the book that got me off my duff she quotes um greta thunberg in it saying you know we have to behave like it's a crisis our house is on fire Mm -hmm. you can't just sit around and engage in business as usual get out of your comfort zone and that's what did it to me i thought fucking yeah i'll get (laughs) i'll get i'll leave my comfort zone and i'll answer the call Uh of the young people and move to dc do you are we going to be able to avoid irreparable? Are we in a we're in a situation? Is this rever is this reversible? I don't. Well, the scientists say no. Mm-hmm. They say that if we can cut our fossil fuel emissions in half by twenty thirty, we'll be able to with the technology we have, and and everything else that we have so much to make it work by mid-century, we can be totally free of fossil fuels, Mm -hmm. that we can do it. The problem is right now the needle is moving in the wrong direction because of Trump and Bolsonaro and, you know, all these people, guys, they're all guys, the countries that have women leaders do much better with the climate. Um, We're moving in the wrong direction. And then, you know, in California, when I hear all these, so many different people saying it's, I, we think that it's past our control. I get scared. But I, I, th- I think, thank God there's an election coming, and we just have to turn out in, in biggest numbers in history. We have to make Biden win by a landslide. And there's a lot of, you know, Bernie guys, Bernie women and men and mm-hmm. boys and girls who just, well, I don't know, maybe, I, I don't know if I'm going to vote for Biden. Well, you mm. don't have to date him. Right. <laughs> you have to like them. What I say is, look, wouldn't you rather push a centrist than fight a fascist? Right. I'm not sure that people would rather do that. I mean, I, we are talking to a lot of people who are probably going to decline to vote this time around. Well, if you or, talk to them, give them that little tool. Wouldn't you rather push a centrist than fight a fascist? Okay. We have to choose our opponent. Right. Oh, that's a nice way to that's a that's a good way to frame it. I like that. Do you do you think that people even realize that climate change is on the ballot with Biden and Harris? I wouldn't have said so two years ago, but 
there's been a huge shift and the young climate strikers all around the world who poured out in numbers bigger than any demonstrations, any protests in history, really put it on the map and forced people to wake up. I think most people are, are aware that it's really dangerous. They just don't know what to do. It seems so overwhelming. Right. And we're trying to fix that. <laughs> How do you create empathy in others? Like how, how it, we, there is a lack of empathy out there right now. I don't know if that has always been so, but I do feel like people are very separated from their right. and ability it, to. And that's not an accident. You know, I look, I'm old enough to remember the forties, mm-hmm. the fifties. <laughs> it was different then. People belong to club. Even the VFW is 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 less robust than it used to be. Right. People aren't joining, and it's because starting with Reagan, there was a. There's been a major, very, um, a purposeful attempt to make people feel that the word collective is a bad word, oh. that individualism is the way to go. They've put mm-hmm. individualism. But you see, women are less susceptible to individualism, mm-hmm. which is why we're leading this. This is a collective crisis that requires a collective solution, and women are perfectly suited to this. Mm-hmm. We we understand the need for interdependence and collectiveness. So you, you start getting women in leadership positions, and you start bringing people into community. Because for me, what we're doing with Fire Drill Friday, mm-hmm. along with educating people, we're building a community. I mean, I can't tell you what I hear from people, what it means to them to be part of this every Friday. It, it buoys their spirits. They're starting to recognize each other. They communicate with each other. They're volunteering and loving it. And they write me up how great it is to be part of this community. That's how you do it, is right. you build that community led by women. Do you think, I mean, I'm, I have no idea if this is true or not, but do you think that in the in, in our lockdown state that, you're, that Fire Drill Fridays has actually grown? Yeah, totally. Uh-huh. I mean, I... I never, you know, I'm an old broad and I'm, this is all new to me, all this technology, but we were the first to kind of bring protests online and it's really worked. Oh, that's amazing. Is this the most important issue you've ever spoken about, do you think? Totally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. This is, this is, I mean, the word existential is overused, but this is the existential issue because if we don't tackle this, it's going to be impossible to have a stable economy or a stable healthcare system or mm-hmm. national security or anything. Right. Why did you choose to put pen to paper now? Like wh- what made you, I guess, write the book or chronicle your journey? Long about mid-November, we'd had over a month of Fridays uh-huh. and people kept coming in larger numbers and saying they wanted to do it in their hometowns. Okay. And we realized that we needed a book to chronicle. Well, I wanted it to be a, a, a combination of my own evolution and personal growth mm-hmm. with building this movement mm-hmm. and then conveying the, the things that people learned when they attended the fire drills in DC with every week we focus on a different topic. Right. And we felt that this would be valuable to help build the movement nationally if it was written down. And what I love so much is Annie Leonard wrote the What Can I Do's at mm-hmm. the end of each chapter. They're so user-friendly and so useful. Right. People really, really love that. So, you know, we realized the great unasked 
is ready for this. Right. This is a way to build a movement. The young people have Fridays for Future and Sunrise Movement. And mm -hmm. this is for the older people, especially women. And a book will help grow the movement. Right. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm sure you don't, how could you have known this? But like, I do know that there was a pitch in my office for the entire time that you were doing the the Fridays in DC that was like, pitch, Sam goes and gets arrested with Jane Fonda. <laughs> I was like, Wish. oh, hey, all right. <laughs> Why didn't you? I don't even remember because I was like, sure, I'll go get arrested. Give it a and full then, frontal. Well, next time I'm going to really put pressure on you because well, we'll you can. I'll do that. We'll we can combine forces. I would yeah. very happily go there and participate in this. I think oh, what you're doing you. is incredible. Did you pick the red coat yourself? Did you pick it on purpose? Well, it was the only red coat in the store. <laughs> it was the. But you were like, it has to be it was red. On sale. It was all there was. <laughs> well, it's great. It's such a great. I love it. I love it. I love the story in the book how you were in jail. And you gave your red coat to the woman who was in the prison cell with you. And then at the end, you were like, well, I vowed not to buy any more coats. So I'm going to need my coat back. <laughs> she was like, all right. Pretty iconic. Your iconic red coat. Yeah. Okay. So in the book, you, you highlight other moments in American history that parallel what is happening now regarding lack of action on climate change. And obviously, history is the best teacher. But how... How do we get people to take a beat and learn from what history could be teaching us when we're stuck in this tornado of lies and conflicting news reports and disinformation on Facebook and a president who thinks climate change is a hoax and continues perpetuating that even as the coast is burning and there's another hurricane barreling toward Louisiana? How do you get people to care? We do what we're doing. Right. We're getting people to care and we're giving them something to do so that they feel good because it feels good to do something. And look at the protests after Floyd was murdered. I mean, mm -hmm. big, 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 huge and very diverse protests. I mean, I'm very hopeful. There's longstanding hostility toward people in the entertainment industry, speaking their minds on politics. A lot of professional athletes are going through this right now. What do you say to people who don't pay any attention? Don't pay any attention. No attention whatsoever. Mm -hmm. The reason they don't like it is because it works. Right. It's successful. Yes. And so yes. they want to stop us. Right. But we are critical to this fight. Mm -hmm. Like as an, as an advocate, like just amplifying things. Like when Taylor Swift takes a stand on something, yeah, it makes a difference. I use the metaphor of the, they're called repeaters. They're the towers at the top of mountains that pick up signals oh. down in the valley that are too weak to reach up over the hill and get a bigger audience. Mm -hmm. We're the repeaters that pick up the signals of the frontline voices right. and spread them far and wide. How do you explain to a younger generation who might be inclined to like, okay, boom, are you without realizing that you've been fighting in the trenches longer than they've even been alive? How do I, you? <laughs> I don't do anything. Other you people don't. say, um, okay, can you take a look at this documentary about her? <laughs> <laughs> I have a large following on social media. Mm -hmm. And they've got my back. Right. 
And when, you know, people say things like, you know, who the hell is she, the workout woman? What is she? They say, well, check out her, her documentary. Boy, that was made at the right time. How do you grapple with people's criticism of you? It's so... I don't pay any attention to it. You don't pay any attention to it. Did you used to? If people that I know and, and, and respect criticized me, I listened very carefully. And I always asked my friends and associates right. that I work with, tell me when I've screwed up, please. Mm-hmm. I'm a good listener. I learn from my mistakes. I admit my mistakes and I change course. But the people who hate me because they're on the wrong side of history, I don't pay any attention. Have you always felt that way? Well, pretty much. And the reason is because all of my activism has always been embedded in a movement. So I've never been alone. Okay. Actually, Fire Drill Friday is the first time that I ever started something on my own. Oh, that's so interesting. Oh, and you have such a, an incredible coalition of people working with you on it. Yeah, well, I was smart because I, I went to Annie Leonard with Greenpeace mm-hmm. and, uh, because, you know, they're not afraid of big, bold actions. Sure. So I had Greenpeace by my side, but the idea and the movement was me on my own. There was no Tom Hayden or Ted Turner or mm-hmm. Any, mm-hmm. any other male leader saying, I've done this, now come and join me. Those days are over. You're so well known for your anti-war activism over the years. What do you what do you make of the fact that the war in Afghanistan is still going on and it's not even particularly an election issue? I mean, it's about to enter its 20th year. Yeah. Oh, they've got a, you know, is there a bigger lobby than the Pentagon? Mm-hmm. I mean, they they've got all that military weaponry and that big budget that they has to justify. So I think they they're probably all for can, you know, continuing it. And we don't know how to get out of it. Right. We we don't know how to just leave and I'm not smart enough to be able to to say whether we should just pull up and leave or what we should do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a, it's a no winner. That's we can never we can't win. You have there are so many issues that you're so passionate about, how do you stay focused? Like, I mean, how do you literally, how do you stay focused? Do you find your mind wandering to that place? Do you wake up in the morning? Like, how do you, how do you put one foot in front of the other, I guess? I have no problem whatsoever. I wake up in the morning Uh and I thank God that I'm as fortunate as I am. And I have good people around me and I, and I, I love what I do. And and it makes me very happy. Do you think your career and your activism would have been different had social media existed in the 60s and 70s? I can't. Oh, my God. I'd probably be dead. Oh. <laughs> if social media had existed in the 60s, oh. are you kidding me? Oh, right. my God. Wow. It would have not been good for me. <laughs> <laughs> No, it came along just in yes. time for me. I have my head screwed on right, pretty much, and I'm careful. <laughs> I feel like if it had even existed when I was in high school, I we I wouldn't be talking to you today. I wouldn't be talking to Jane Fonda today. Right? Yeah. No way. Me too. Well, high school, I was too boring to have anybody listen yeah. to me. Yeah. So <laughs> How do you think that organizing today is different from your early days? I mean, obviously, the reach is different. You can communicate with people. Social media makes everything different, right? Mm -hmm. It took so long 
I was the one that worked the mimeograph machines that ran off the posters and things. And it was just, you had to design the posters and then you had to run them off on a mimeograph machine and then you had to paste them up on walls and pass them out. And it was endless to organize a protest. Now it can be done so fast. So that's one big difference. In my opinion, another big difference is the role of women. Mm -hmm. Women were very much a part of the anti-war movement, but our leadership and intelligence, those parts of us weren't really tapped. In fact, they were shunted aside very often. It Mm -hmm. was very much a male-led movement back in the day. And that's not true anymore. I mean, for example, Movement for Black Lives, co-founded by women, Mm -hmm. very much led by by non-binary black women. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes all the difference in the world. There's a much more... You know, I, I watched, it was now two weeks ago, I think, the National Black Convention. It was the first National Black Convention since 1972. Mm-hmm. And it was fabulous. And it was so centered in joy right. and love. And I called Patrice Cullors, who's the co-founder of Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And I commented to her about this. And she said, yes, it's critical that we center our movement in joy mm. and that's how it feels, and it's because it's women in leadership, and I think it's why it's more welcoming, more beckoning to other people. I mean, you know, here in California, there are all-white communities where you saw people, young and old, carrying signs, Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter. I mean, it's it's just beautiful, and I think it's because of women leadership. You have talked about having empathy for Donald Trump as a likely, as a traumatized person, what good does not hating him do when he seems to be so incapable of recognizing the humanity of people? Hate takes takes up a lot of space in your body. Okay. And it does all kinds of things to your neurons in your brain. Mm-hmm. And it affects your body and your brain and, and how you function. And it debilitates you. It, he wins if we hate. Okay. Hate what he does. Okay. And they're hateful. And it's hard not to hate him. But mm-hmm. making the effort to not hate is worth the time. Mm. Okay. I'm going to take that on board. <laughs> because sometimes I feel like I wake up in the morning and I don't put one foot in front of the other. I just read Twitter and get really mad. <laughs> But is oh, no, but hate and getting mad are not the same thing. Right. I get really mad. Are you kidding? <laughs> you okay? You in April you joined TikTok, and you offered tips for workouts during quarantine. The reason I did TikTok is uh-huh. because my young friends mm-hmm. they made me go on TikTok with something, and then I did it again here, but as a way of bringing young people into the Fire Drill Friday movement. Right. Okay. Yeah. How are you both hipper and less exhausted than I seem to be? How is that possible? Thank you. <laughs> um, do you is it hard to do your show? Hard? Um, well, I think the only part of it that's actually hard is having to know what's happening at all times, at all moments of the day and night. That I do find challenging. Like, yeah. I would like to just be able to blank out for two hours. 
Do you know what I mean? To just sort of shut the world out a little bit. And that is very challenging. Are you able to do that? Have you ever watched the Rachel Maddow show on New Year's Eve? No. Well, she th- she there's a crawl of all the names of all the people on her staff. It is the longest frigging list. <laughs> I think she has 200 people really? that help her keep up on top of every single wow. thing that's happening that she needs to know. Wow. I mean, you, she has all these people that do it, of course, because you can't do it yourself. No. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, when when I'm doing the show right now, doing it in the backyard because of COVID. I know, I've seen. <laughs> it, uh, it, it's, 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 it represents the work of like 70 odd people. You know, we're a lot of people. We have a yeah. really big and really amazing and very capable team. I think we just collectively get bogged down in the news cycle where we're just like, oh, sometimes we literally on a Thursday will say, okay, well, next week's show, we have to give ourselves some points of light. Like we just have to do a joyful, we just have to do a joyful act because we just have to enjoy ourselves for a second. Maybe I'm the joyful point of light for you at the beginning of this week. Haven't gotten too heavy. No, not too heavy. Not too heavy. No, we've and we've we're, we're making a path through joy. Like joy, I think is very important. It is very important to find your joy. Yeah. Otherwise, the other stuff can actually grind you too. Hard. It's hard to stay focused if you're always too tired. It's hard to move forward if you're. I can't do anything if I'm tired. I yeah. sleep nine hours a night. That's good. I try to. I have to talk to you about nine to five, just okay. because. Do you like talking about that stuff? Or do you kind of go, oh, I've got to, I'd rather talk about. I produced it. I care a lot about it. God, it was so important to me (laughs) growing up. It's such an important movie. It was released 40 years ago. There's gun violence and office misconduct and sexual harassment. Yeah, it's worse in offices now than it was then. Yes. The gig economy has done them in. It's just terrible. So it's really just the same sexist bullshit, but just without the typewriters. Well, uh, it's more than the sexist stuff. It's yeah. it's now it's now you get paid even less. You don't even know who you go to complain to because right. you're a contract worker. Mm-hmm. So you don't know who your boss is. Right. Your wage is stolen more easily, and you're spied on more easily. Right. Pay equity issues. Yeah. Anti-union bosses. Do you think that Franklin Hart Jr. would be a Trump voter? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. You have talked about your early roles as the good girl and how the good girl isn't an ambitious girl. Do you see differences in how women both talk about and act on their own ambition now? versus at the beginning of your career. Like, I mean, even when Kamala Harris, when she was being considered, there was conversations around her being too ambitious. Do you feel that that has changed? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is it perfect? (laughs) Right. No, but way changed. Absolutely. Yes. Totally. Things have changed a lot for women. We have a long way to go. Mm Mm-hmm. Gloria Steinem and I intend to live past 100 so we can see how it turns out. But yes, there's, there's a lot of really good things that have happened. And one of them is that women can be more ambitious now. Your activism really began when you were living in France during the Vietnam War. How did living abroad during that time affect and shape your views? Were there, did you feel like there were people there you wouldn't, or ideas there that you would never have encountered 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting that I didn't expect, living in another country is when you really come to understand what it means to be an American. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, for me, it was in the 60s. -hmm. And America was different then. You really could pull yourself up by your bootstraps and and come from nothing. There was more of an opportunity for people to make something out of nothing here. And it was Kennedy was, you know, in the White House and so forth. But it was the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. Vietnam had been a French colony. Mm -hmm. The French had tried to keep it as a colony. The Vietnamese had fought back and won. So I'm living in a country that was defeated Mm -hmm. by the Vietnamese and, you know, at first I thought that the French's opposition to our war mm-hmm. in Vietnam was just a case of sour grapes, just because oh, you lost. Right. I didn't understand much about the war in Vietnam. Uh-huh. I was very late coming to actively oppose the Vietnam War. So it was very useful to be living in France then. I could watch on television the American anti-war movement mm-hmm. You know, gaining strength and power, and and then I could I could go to rallies in Paris where the French were demonstrating against the America's war in Vietnam. And mm-hmm. my friend Simone Signore, the great French, late French actress, who had been a very much of an activist. I mean, she'd literally lay down on train tracks right. to stop the trains that were carrying weapons and soldiers. You know, she she was the one that really started to explain the war to me. And then American soldiers who had deserted because they they resisted the war, they were in Paris, and they were really the ones that got me to decide to move back here and become an activist. Is it easier now than it was back then to define yourself as a feminist? Well, yeah. First of all, I didn't understand it meant. Mm-hmm. And what I thought it meant was that you didn't like men. Right. And I did like men. And so I, I was not part of the women's movement at all. I thought it was a waste of time. When there's a war going on, why are you involved in the women's movement? I actually wrote that in my diary. No, I was not. It took me uh, quite a while to understand what feminism was all about. And I had to be single. When did you become friends with Gloria Steinem? How did that happen? Can I get in on that? (laughs) Oh, I first met Tom Hayden, my second husband, Uh um, in 1972, brought me to to meet Gloria. Uh And and I've known known her ever since. It's amazing. What do you what do you think that you what is one thing that you have not done in your career that you still want to do? I, I don't ever even think about it. Oh, I have no know. idea. Oh, how do you determine what made you decide to do Grace and Frankie? Or what made you choose that? Project? I needed to earn money. Mm-hmm. I needed to work. Okay. And this woman who was very successful, Marta Kaufman, who was had been the co-creator of Friends. Mm-hmm. And that's not shabby. She pitched me this idea. And, you know, she said, knowing that you and Lily want to work together. Well, we'd never said we did. I don't know how to get the idea. (laughs) It's a good, solid guess. I was totally delighted Mm -hmm. at the idea. But I liked, you know, I liked it. And um, I had just written a book about aging, which I gave her to read. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, women and aging, I wanted her to 
be up to date on what that all meant. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was a really good idea. I didn't think it was going to be as popular as it is. Um, Women really, really like the show. Mm -hmm. And it gives them a lot of hope. Well, you're pretty great. And Lily Tomlin's pretty great. (laughs) God, I'm so lucky. She's fabulous. So is Sam Waterston and Martin and the young June Diane Raphael. I mean, there's good talent on that. She's great, too. Boy, she's great. You got a powerhouse cast. You know, from the outside looking in, it's amazing to me that you, Jane Fonda, would be like, I don't know if this will be popular. I'm not sure people will watch this. I'm like, I think the world is very excited for this product. <laughs> no, I had no idea that it was going to be this popular. And, and you know, I'm, I'm really grateful to the writers. I sense that you're so tactical about it. Like you have an, you've got to work so that you can do your other work. Is that correct of me to assume? Like you, uh, you got to do some work, work, make some money, earn your money so you can do your other stuff. So you can do the, the real work of fighting climate yeah. change. Well, I love acting too. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially when I'm working with people as talented as the ones that are in the cast of Grace and Frankie. But also, boy, I'll tell you one thing that's really different than it was back in the 70s, Samantha, mm-hmm. is that I have a hit series behind me. Yes. Activer- becomes much easier when you have a series right behind you. right you're doing press like crazy did you enjoy doing howard stern yes i do i think he's an ex- very very good interviewer he's excellent i find him very attractive i have to say interesting yeah no he is a great he is great i don't know if i've ever said this out i've learned so much from him just from listening to him over the years yeah. i thought your interview was amazing the first interview i ever did with him mm-hmm he started talking about my going to North Vietnam, and he started crying. Oh. Which absolutely blew my mind. I said, wow. why are you getting emotional? Uh-huh. And he said, because you're doing that showed me that somebody cared about me. Oh, wow. That's remarkable. I know. It just blew my mind. Oh, my goodness. So we're, we're kind of friends. Yeah. And I, we've been out to dinner. With his wife, and I'll go visit him if I go east, if I ever do again. I may not. Oh, you think? Well, I mean, I guess with COVID. I'm quite happy living on Zoom. I love Zoom. You can live on Zoom. I hate the phone. You've got Zoom. I do. I love Zoom. Can I get Zoom arrested with you? (laughs) (laughs) Do you realize that we've been talking for almost an hour? Really? I feel like five minutes passed. Yeah. Time has become so relative. Yes. I wake up Friday morning Mm -hmm. to get ready to do Fire Drill Friday, and it feels like there was just a thin bologna sandwich between this Friday and last Friday. It's like there wasn't a week. I know. It was just a sliver of time. It's just a tiny, just a little blip. We could have, I know. It's like time stopped, and then two hours later, a week had passed. So weird. Yeah. And I'm so much more conscious of routines. Mm -hmm. And now I turn that light on and now I turn this one off. Mm -hmm. Then I put my shoes here and I didn't realize that I have a routine because when you're outdoors and you're going and you're doing a lot of things, you don't notice it. But if, if you're just at home, you become much more conscious of what you do every minute of every day. That is very true. Well, I am so, I feel so much gratitude for being able to speak with you today and I'll be happy to lend my show in whatever way is valuable to you 
to oh, advance the cause you. of Fire Drill Friday, which I think thank is amazing. You. Put a pin in that. Put a pin in that. Thank you for talking to me. Well, thank you for having me. I'm a big fan, Samantha. And I love your book. I think everyone should run out and grab your book, read it, and then figure out how to get active. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay, I got to squeeze in another quick break here. Okay, we are back. She is so hip. Oh my God. I was going to say, even her... So even so her hip. Zoom placeholder photo is super glamorous. I know. I was like, wow, oh she is stunning. <laughs> I know that She's... our listeners can't see, but we do this with our cameras off, and Sam has a photo, and it's nice. <laughs> it's but, oh my but James' gosh. photo was, like, hot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I kept staring at it during the interview. <laughs> An she's unhealthy so much degree. hipper than me. She's so much hipper, and she's like, "Well, just fucking do it. Yeah. Just fix the world." Yeah. I'm like, oh, she's very matter you. of fact. Suffer no fools. Very matter of fact. <laughs> oh my god, I love her. Also, can we talk about how she like legitimately watches Full Frontal? Yeah, she yeah. like knew. I started to sweat. I didn't sweat. <laughs> I started to really sweat when the she said that she watches Full Frontal, but. <laughs> I feel like we it has been pitched many times. Yeah. Go get arrested with Jane Fonda. Yeah. She's and definitely gonna hold you to it. I love her so much. I found <laughs> I that I was nervous. I know. I was very nervous when she said that she watches Full Frontal. I'm like, oh no, I hope you still watch it after this interview. <laughs> I hope I didn't like <laughs> Well now you can just you're doing it really just for her. Like when you yes. record, now that I know, you record, you're recording for Jane. This yeah. changes everything. <laughs> this show's for Jane. <laughs> this show is for Jane. Okay, are you ready? Yes. Are you ready to for a session of um, <clears throat> a Trump-inspired version of real or fake? Well, we're we're switching it up a little, and not just because okay. you were like really kicking our butts at the other version yeah, it was 39 okay. it was 39 to 21 so you humbled oh, us oh wow but we're okay. starting use, fresh yeah we're gonna use this platform for good because okay the day we're recording this we are i think 50 days away from the election so god. we're we're oh gonna god. we're gonna do a special trump version going forward for a little bit just to make sure that people remember it's okay. really important to vote <laughs> Oh God! And these are these are either actual tweets from Donald Trump or, or ones that we made up in house, um, okay. from over the years. So before he was president and now. Oh, okay, okay, interesting. All right, I think I'm I think I'm ready for that. Okay, <laughs> hot off the presses. Here we go. <clears throat> Number one, Jane Fonda and Michael Douglas look great. Oh, that's real. From Fe- February twenty fourth, twenty thirteen. We were like, "Oh, I wonder if he." Yeah, we were like, "I wonder if he's ever tweeted about Jane Fonda." And I assumed he'd said horrible things. And this is the only time he has ever tweeted about her, and it's a compliment. I'm assuming he saw them at an award show and was like, "They look yeah, great." It must have been an award show, but you know, he, <laughs> yeah, I, she's a beautiful one. Okay, yeah, it's true. Okay. It, yeah. Yes, that felt real. There's only yeah. one thing to say, and that's it. She looked great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fake news, CNN and NBC falsely reporting that I will fire Kellyanne Conway. She's doing a great job and going nowhere. I think that's real. Mm. It's fake. Mm -hmm. 
Interesting, but I feel like he said that about someone else. Oh, for sure. Like he, yeah, he yeah. said that many times. You could just—that's a search term. Like yeah. that's the kiss of death. It is. He says that, and then they're immediately fired. Immediately fired. <laughs> okay. The failing New York Times should be disinvited from the White House Correspondents' Dinner, although watching comedian Seth Meyers' bomb is punishment enough. Oh, wow. I think that's... I think they're all real. (laughs) (laughs) That feels real. Mm. That's fake. But it's a good one. It's a good fake one. It's a really, really good one. Because I think... Yeah, you kind of have to channel his, like, train of thought. Because it's like, the putting things in quotes randomly as an insult is a thing. You're really tricking me. Well, also, the Seth Meyers dinner was, I think, when he, like, decided he would run for president. Right. Because he was really insulted. That's what activated him. Oh, was that the Seth Meyers mm-hmm. year? I think Seth Meyers is to blame for this. Yeah, no, it was because it was that was the year mm-hmm. Obama did his whole like hilarious run on Trump, and then Seth Meyers came up and dunked on him again, okay. and then he like stormed out in a huff and said, "I'm running for president," oh, and he ruined all our lives. He's so stupid and awful. <laughs> all of these could be real. Yep. The, I mean, I think it really is more telling that I just think they're all real <laughs> <laughs> because they're basically real. Um, <clears throat> how is ABC Television? Allowed to have a show entitled Blackish. Can you imagine the furor of a show whitish? Racism at highest level? Question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Well, I think it's real. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love that one. Just oh. the idea of a show called Whitish makes me laugh so hard. Oh, I'm like, my I think we've God. had some version of that at this point. I'm really trying to channel Jane Fonda telling me not to have hate. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you struggling so hard with that one. You were like, I really, oh, I right. think I went silent. <laughs> I just, I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I don't want to disappoint you, yeah. Jane Fonda, <laughs> but I might. Hate in my heart. Sometimes she can be wrong. It's okay. Oh. Still much respect. Oh, yes. Okay. Thank you to the beautiful Sarah Palin for her presidential endorsement. <laughs> we will do great things for our veterans. Uh, oh, boy. I think it's real. Fake. You're making me very proud right now. You do. You've done a wonderful job. Not proud because I can write really good Trump tweets. (laughs) You really remind me of Donald Trump. Oh God! What a thing to say. That is so horrible. There's that was a hate crime. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about hate. You guys, you think alike. So anyway, (laughs) who's the real loser of this game? Yeah, it's the random capitalization. That's what I love. (laughs) Just like presidential endorsement. I am so impressed. Okay. As everybody knows, but the haters and losers refuse to acknowledge I do not wear a wig. My hair may not be perfect, but it's mine. (laughs) I I put in that emphasis. Um, Hmm. As everybody knows, but the haters and losers refuse to acknowledge. Yeah, who would make a wig that awful? <laughs> like any reputable wig maker would be like, I won't do it. <laughs> uh, is it real? Jesus. H. I like that he had a little bit of like insecurity at the end. It's not perfect, but it's mine. That's maybe the most honest thing he's yeah. ever said. Wow. My hair may not be perfect, but it's mine. It is yours. Mm-hmm. That's from 2013. So he, okay. he was more humble back then. <laughs> a lot happened in 2013. Yeah. 
I don't care what people say. I like Tom Cruise. He works his ass off and never, ever quits. He's one of the few true movie stars. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> These are so hard because he's such an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's... I think it's real. <laughs> I think he has a thing for Tom Cruise because he, he sort of uses him as his barometer of like a good looking man. Like, I don't okay. know if you've ever seen this before, but there was this one time where he was talking about like Navy SEALs being so good looking and he was like, mm-hmm. they're almost as good looking as Tom Cruise. <laughs> like that was like the last man oh. he was willing to acknowledge was handsome back in like wow. the 80s and he never looked My- back. Oh, God. This is so... <laughs> <laughs> this person oh. is our president, everybody. Just so you remember. And Adam is his writer. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> is just his partner in crime. <laughs> this is heartbreaking. You know how you sometimes find out that, like, your friends helped write the president's jokes at the White House court? You're like, oh, my God, I know the <laughs> no, guy who was Sam, right. we have very different sets of friends. <laughs> you know how sometimes you... Find out your friends. <laughs> your late night show has been preempted by a baseball game, and you're like, what the fuck? <sighs> well, anyway, we just found out that Adam is sitting up there writing <laughs> Stephen his Miller, and he's actually a black man. <laughs> Plot twist. <laughs> These were very good. These were very tricky. Thank you. Good job. I hope you liked the podcast. If you did, let me know in the comments. If you didn't, please consider hate listening in the future. Seriously, though, please rate, review, and subscribe to Full Release on Apple Podcasts and keep sending your questions to fullrelease at samby.com. If your question is good enough to stump me, Adam and Svea, reveal it in a future episode. In the meantime, let me know who I should be talking to, what I should talk to them about, or just let me know what an amazing job you think we're all doing. And see you next Tuesday for another Full Release. This podcast was produced by Adam Howard and Sophia Baron-Reinstein with research provided by Noreen Malik and with IT and technical production provided by Hitech. It was edited by Julia Fott and hosted by me. My name is Samantha B. When you walk into someone's bedroom and they're, you're like, there's the Kama Sutra, here we go. <laughs> this is a boudoir type of situation. There's a lot of yannis everywhere. Here, a lot of oils. Like, okay. <laughs> it's like that. This is a boudoir like, bedroom. There's the purple crushed velvet. Something's cooking. <laughs>